Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting about anything and everything property. And this week, just a little tiny bit about COVID. So welcome back, Stuart. I'm very, very pleased to, to be able to see and hear you looking healthy again. Thank you. You you were, however, off for a while with COVID. We, we really shouldn't dwell on it because it's in the past and we want to forget about it as fast as we can. But how was your COVID experience? We certainly do want to move forward. And all I can say was it was blooming awful. It was uh, in bed for uh, at least a couple of weeks, sadly, was my experience. And uh, in a household of six, five of us got it. So um, it wasn't it wasn't a fun experience. And you know, I am equally as pleased to see you because it means I'm back out in the real world doing real things again. So I, I'm pleased to be back. Um, but we sh- we remiss also to mention that you too managed to get it for a bit of a shorter period of time than I did. Yeah, indeed. Our, our infections almost lined up exactly, I think. But mine was, was only, only took me out of action for a few days. Still, still got a lingering cough, but otherwise nowhere near as bad as, as yours, thankfully. And uh, in a family of, of five, three of us went, went down with it and two, two got away unscathed. So it seems a bit, uh, bit of a fickle infection in uh, who it affects and how it affects. <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, very pleased to say that pretty much back to normal now. Yeah, so here we are, and you know, we regardless of illnesses, we 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 don't forget about property. It's always on our minds, and even though I was out of action for well three weeks overall, one thing that was still apparent to both of us was that the fact that these transaction volumes, property purchases, continues the the, the numbers are continuing at high pace, unabated, and um, we we pulled off a couple of uh, charts just to really drive that home and i don't know if you want to lead into the sign but the, the, we've got one chart which is just to explain to the listeners and of course we'll put this in the show notes in terms of the the number of transactions we are looking at, it's called seasonally adjusted but government figures are saying for 2021 to 2022 which obviously includes estimates we're at 765,000 versus 400,000 for the previous year which was obviously covid but the year before that, 585,000. So we are running a couple of hundred thousand above pre-COVID times. And that's just in terms of those numbers. Just to say that these are total number of transactions. I think specifically it's residential transactions in this, this table, isn't it? Yes. U- UK residential transactions. So this is the number of sales that have taken place or that they predict will take place in the year. And yeah, as you say, to, to be running a couple of hundred thousand extra is a big difference. I mean, that's, well, I don't know, 30% up, something like that, on number of transactions. So yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. We've also got another chart, which we'll put in, which is the same thing. It's residential transactions. And just looking at that trended over time, what, what struck me was that um, in terms of monthly transactions, this is, so looking at the monthly rates for the latest month, which is September, there's 160,000, just under 161,000 transactions. Now, the monthly change, i.e. prior month, is 67.5% higher, 68% higher than the previous year. But when you can look at these trended graphs, what really struck Simon and I was that actually these numbers are as high as 2006, just before the, the crash happened. But the other thing we saw, Simon, that was quite interesting was that that spike in around sort of 2015-ish, 
Yeah, indeed. Just sort of comparing back to 2006 with, with Around Nourish, that the sort of top levels are very similar. But in 2006, 2007, those levels were quite consistent, uh, sort of that, that high number of transactions, whereas the figures over the last six months-ish are very, very spiky. So we've had two, three, in fact, occurrences where there have been deadlines and that's forced up the number of transactions running up to that deadline. And then afterwards, they plummeted to the, the, the next month in, in comparison to, to that previous month anyway. They've still been high compared to longer historic figures. But yeah, it's, it makes the recent numbers very, very spiky. But as you said, there's this big spike in 2015, 2016 time. And again, it looks like it's a, a deadline type spike. So there's a, a, a big rush to complete transactions, which pushed up the number of transactions that happened. And then the month afterwards, there's a big drop. So obviously the transactions that were in the queue, lots of them got completed and then the, the queue is emptier. So the less happening the following month. And I don't know quite what happened to, to cause that around that time. Did, did you manage to, to find a reason for it, Stuart? Or, or is this a mystery we should ask our audience? Well, we should probably ask the audience. And we haven't acknowledged that, given that this is the 100th episode, we would like them to reach out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot we were supposed to be doing that. <laughs> and we even planned a little bit this week. Oh, dear, my goodness. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to tell. No, but given some planning, it does look like that the general election that was happening in 2016 did cause some of that. We, we haven't researched it enough to know, but it does look like a lot of activity happened pre the election, purely because that, that is what does tend to happen around election times, particularly if there is uncertainty about what happens if, if one party gets elected over another. And, and clearly with that time of year and obviously the things like Brexit coming, there was a lot more uncertainty around what could have happened. So that would have forced a lot of people, but that's as far as our research has gone. So if you know the reason for that, that spike and drop afterwards around 2015, 2016 time, please do let us know. You, you can find contact details or a contact form, should I say, on the website at thebusinessofproperty.com. You can reach out to us on, on Twitter. We are biz of property. That's biz with a Z. If you, if you want to reach us, reach us there and, uh, and let us know the answer to this conundrum. So given the fact that we are still very much in a hot market, many consider we're in a, in a boom right now. And given that you are actively, as, as listeners will know, looking for investments, your new property investment. And you, you said to me before, before we start recording that you had to miss a couple of viewings because of the damn COVID. What's your thinking about how to approach your next investment, given that the market is so hot? With difficulty, I think. As you mentioned, there were a couple of properties that I'd spotted the week before I, I went, went down with COVID. And I was wanting to, to go, and, go and try and view those. There, there, were, there, there were lots of properties that, that I see that come onto the local market that I think are a bit overpriced for what they are at the moment. And and these two struck me as not being quite so overpriced, and hence I was I was a bit curious to, about having a, a closer look at them, more so than I have been about other properties recently. But as you said, then I came down with COVID, and I couldn't go and do any viewings. Obviously, because I had to self isolate. Haven't felt great either for, for a little while. But during that time since I, I first saw them, and now 
uh, they have both sold. So obviously somebody else went and, and looked at them and thought they thought they were good as well and snapped them up. So those those two are off the off the table now. So what am I doing next? Well, I'm still keeping an eye out for properties, new properties that come onto the market. Try and decide whether any of them look like they they could be could be tempting. But I'm not I'm not desperate. I'm not going to try and make any property work. I am very much looking for a property that I think does work as an investment property. And if they're coming on too expensive, or if they look like they would need lots and lots of work, which I think is, is difficult at the moment with a shortage of supplies and a shortage of, of builders to, to do work and things at the moment, I am I'm not going to worry about missing those those potential properties. It's only really if they come on and they look look like they they fit what I'm looking for, good price, um, then I will will go and investigate further. But that does mean that in the meantime, I need to do something else. And I have actually started to to look at other things to do. So we've we've talked before a bit about my my tiny dabble in, in cryptocurrency investment, and that's going to stay a, a tiny dabble because I think that's almost akin to gambling at the moment. But I've also started investing in stocks and shares or tracker funds specifically, which we, we again talked a little bit about a few episodes ago. And, and I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll talk a bit more in, in depth about. But in the property sphere, I have been talking to some people about making a potential angel investment. So this is something that I've, I've done in the past. I have there have been two angel investments I've started previously, and one of those has successfully concluded and had the, the capital repaid to me. The other one is still ongoing successfully. It's, it's fine it's as it was intended, and I'm still receiving interest on that. So now I've started to, to reach out and see if there's any other opportunities for further angel investment. And there is one that I'm, I'm talking to at the moment. And it's I haven't decided whether I'm going to go ahead with it or not yet. I, I, I may have by the time this podcast actually airs, but, but as, as of recording, I haven't. And I think it's, it's an interesting sort of proposition or idea to consider because this is, a, this is a property that's already been purchased, already been refurbished and already been set up and is running as an HMO. And you would think that at that point, this is a, a sort of a much safer investment, a much a, a much lower risk for angel investment. Because I, I would be going in as an angel investor to replace another angel investor who was who was asked to to um, step away from from the project. Although this is the case, it's, it's already all set up, it's already running. When you actually dig into the the figures, the the rates that they're getting for the HMO rooms are lower. Than they had hoped, and a couple of the rooms are currently running with COVID discounts applied, so their their rents are lower than they first signed up for, and are at some point supposed to go back up, but don't know quite when as yet. And there were also earlier on some some void periods, or I say earlier on a little while ago, some void periods again over the the COVID times when they couldn't couldn't fill rooms, so the cash available in the cash pot behind this project is a bit diminished because they've had to, to dig into it to to cover periods where where there haven't hasn't been rent coming in that they were previously expecting. To, also to help sort of cover that, 
they've had uh, they've taken out i think it was sea bills so one of the the government loan schemes so there's a little bit of a loan there as well which is now now being paid back the mortgage company they had to mortgage it during the covid time so the mortgage company valued it lower than they were hoping they didn't get as much mortgage loan which means that they've got more angel investors still in the project and the angel investors obviously attracting a higher interest rate than the mortgage would so overall the cash flow within the project is is not looking as positive as they were hoping so there's just, there's just lots of little bits and pieces that aren't quite as as good as you would would hope or indeed quite as good as as the people behind this deal originally hoped when they they constructed and conceived this plan pre-covid so yeah that that's where i am that's what i'm considering at the moment and that that may be a a way to to provide a return on the the capital i've got before i'm ready to actually in, invest in, a, in another property i think to get get your perspective on this Stuart, what what do you think i should look for and, and how risky do you think i should should be do you think the future of hmos is is positive enough at the moment that that it would be okay to sort of look at a project that's kind of on the edge right now but with covid discounts removed and things like that it's it's a much more positive picture as always there are so many variables without knowing all the detail you know in terms of location tenant profile you know those kind of things it's it's very difficult to you know provide a summary but in that case specifically i think i was going to be closer to it to you that's done the due diligence in terms of what it is i, I think there's always a question over what the funding is going to be used for because it, it feels like you know given how you've talked about it there's already a lot of there's some complexity around it i would say i think i, I was just thinking in terms of what we we're talking about transaction volumes and your view i guess what i'm hearing is that you're kind of uncertain about investing at the moment so looking at alternative routes for investment rather than putting it in the bricks and mortar at the moment yeah although i might be putting some of it into bricks and mortar in a roundabout way someone someone else's bricks and mortar (laughs) someone else's bricks and mortar yeah so i guess the, the question i'm thinking about and you know many investors are thinking about right now is a rising market's great isn't it if if someone said to us you're going to buy a house now and in a year's time it's going to be worth 10 percent more we're all going to be really happy but of course as all of us are in the in the industry what we're concerned about is how long that rise can continue and when it's going to stop and that's the question because that's what provides the risk to, to taking that next action because there's not one of us that wants to buy a property now that's going to be worth less in the future however you know if we're if we're investing long term which we should be then that's that's the risk we're going to take but also none of us wants to buy at peak none of us wants to buy at peak to to have a property that's in five years time maybe worth the same that's that's not where we're going to go you, you say that but if the deal is good in so much as it pays the expected or, or desired return on investment now and perhaps for the next five years does it matter that it doesn't go up in value over those five years not to me and no, exactly. You see, so if I could find the the right deal that provided the the return that I'm hoping for, then I would I would go ahead and I would buy it, and hence why I am still looking at properties that are coming onto the market. It's just I haven't seen any for a while 
that look like they would fulfil that. But would you buy it at the moment, Stuart? Well, my, my view is the same, and I've shared it many times on this podcast, but, you know, if the numbers are right, I'm buying, you know, and, um, you know, for me, the, the, the right time to buy is always now, if the property is right. And I'm not clever enough or, or have done enough research to, to ever try and time the market, but then I don't know many people that can. I don't know many people that can predict it. So the short answer is, yeah, I would buy. And, uh, you know, I'm reminded of a conversation you and I had on this podcast. And I can't remember the specifics around the percentages, but I remember you you talking about a flat that you were interested in. And you said, well, I can't believe it's gone up by 10%. It's not worth that much. A year later, it's gone up 20% and continued to rise. So it's, it's one of those where, you know, your view and my view, you know, very similar but like you say, for, for me now, it has to, whatever criteria, so your criteria, you know, our first criteria might be yield to say, okay, does this just stack up as a as a potential purchase? And if it meets that hurdle rate, then okay, fine. I'll start looking into the, the financials of it in terms of you know, how much we would need to spend and what's the revenue. And if that all looks good, and I think in five years time, we get a good margin, not get a good margin in five years time, but get a good revenue now so that in five years time I can say well actually yes we've made a good amount of money then then I would definitely look at it because I think that's the it's the only thing we can do and and I think if we're looking at holding for always a minimum of five years then typically we we, we would be riding out any uh, short-term movements but that that's the challenge right now for for all of us in this sector given that the the transaction volumes we've been talking about are just so high they are yeah it does seem really really surprising that they are so much higher than normal and i think it'll be very interesting over the next few months because obviously we're going into the the end of the year heading into christmas and winter which are traditionally slower times for the property market so i think it will be very interesting to see whether that holds as in whether the property market does slow down a bit this year or whether it bucks that normal trend and and the sort of hot market the enthusiasm manages to keep going and and force the market on despite the the normal seasonal pressures yeah it'll be very interesting the only thing i was going to add to our conversation is the the other thing for for most of us is that when we buy and invest even though we should be thinking long term we all want in inverted commas, a deal, don't we? We we all want to buy something that is below market value, dare I utter those words. So that, I think, just to just, just, just finish on that conversation is, is where the challenge sits because I'm no different, I guess, to anyone else where when I buy the property, if I think my research tells me the property is worth whatever, 250 grand, just to pick an average, I want to be picking it up for you know 230 to 235 at the most and that that's where the challenge comes in because it's very easy for us to have a sort of glib conversation well yeah i'll buy right now but again you're in the you're in at the coal face and you want a property that you you don't want to be paying what you believe because you've got so much knowledge about the area you're buying in where you think it's higher so i guess that's the only area where sometimes we 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 want to wait and see but given that this uh, these transaction volumes have been consistently high now you know for a few years if we wait then we could be waiting we just don't know how long we're going to wait for it could be waiting for one or two years yeah and that that is a bit of a worry i don't really want to wait 
a couple of years for for the market to to seem more sensible. Uh, I would quite like to put the put the funds and put a property to work um, a bit bit faster than that. But I think it's it's something you you can't rush. I, I don't want to. What I said a few moments ago: if you find a property that you invest in and it providing the appropriate return, then no reason not to go for it. And I wouldn't mind if it hasn't gone up in value at all over five years or so. I think if it had gone down a big chunk of value in five years, I, I would be a little bit upset. Uh, I don't feel I need capital growth, but if I saw capital decline in, in something that I'd purchased recently, that would be a bit annoying. Yeah. E- even if it's not actually critical to the to the return on the property and, and what have you. There's not one of us that wants to see our, um, our property decline in value. We just don't, like you said, we, we just have to be ready for it. As, as I've always said, as long as my rent covers what I need, then, you know, as hard as it may be, we've just got to sit on our hands and, and just get through it. I guess I'm kind of, because of course, all regions are slightly different. And the region that I invest in doesn't see great capital growth at best when I've averaged it out. I think we're looking at around a couple of percent a year, which when we look at the percentage we're looking at, yeah, is very low. When we think about that, you know, the, the UK average is, is 10% plus. 2% isn't a lot. However, again, if I'm holding for five to 10 years, it's still fine. So in some ways that protects me a little bit from getting too caught up in the, oh, well, you know, am I buying too high or too low? Because I just think, well, buying multi-lets and HMO and doing co-living you know, the, the rent yield is what I'm all about and making sure that that cash flow is right rather than, so I guess, you know, for me personally, it's slightly different to everyone. It's a little bit different in terms of what their strategy is. Yeah, you're right. Of course, different strategies are going to be looking at, at the current market in different ways. Of course, if you're currently trying to employ a, a sort of flip type strategy, then then you're going to be wanting the, the market to, to really keep going and keep accelerating so you can uh, you can make the most of those short-term gains and short-term flips. But I think, I think that's got to be a, a risky game at the moment because, because it is so hot and so perhaps overheated, maybe, it would be a concern that at some point that's going to stop. And, and of course, if you're, you're really banking on those short-term gains and you happen to be caught in that bad timing of it stopping, then, uh, then yeah, you could be, could be unstuck. Yeah, and that's one of the challenging strategies at this time because, of course, if you're buying at what we feel like is a very top part of the market, you know that your, for want of simpler phrases, but your risk mitigation is getting more difficult because if any costs increase, and yeah, we don't want to get into that conversation, but we know that the cost of supplies, you know, timber, cement, that's all increased. So your margin's already being squeezed from, from one direction. You know, heaven forbid, if the market starts tipping even slightly the other way, starts going a bit colder in your area, then you're getting pushed. Da- you know, the the downward forces come from another direction. So, so they're the challenges, but that's what we face. You know, I, I've still got a flip that I bought in October 2019 that was supposed to be six months. But anyway, that's a that's a different conversation. So we won't go down that path. <laughs> yeah, you, you've obviously you you've still got that flip, but it's not because you're still desperately trying to get rid of it as a flip project. You have pivoted to to plan b or c or maybe d i'm not sure what you're what you're on now but it is working as an alternative form of investment i think isn't it just about but the, the point i was making there is that is the thing with with the flip strategy it's a very rigid strategy you know you, you want to buy and sell quickly of course that's that's the model 
but it's not always going to work out that way. And the market is another, obviously another factor in terms of your pricing if, if you're trying to sell it quickly. And, and when you have to hold on to it longer than you should, yeah, it's fine. It's now washing its face financially, but there is now a lot of capital tied up into it that, that we were expecting to have about a year ago. So that, and that's, you know, they're the challenges that, that, that you and I and everyone else doing what we do faces. Yeah, exactly. So you might have to change plans. You might have to, as you say, deal with capital being tied up when you weren't expecting it. But ultimately, I think it, it is always important to go into large deals and projects like this with a plan B and perhaps a C as well, so that at least you can you can cope with with changes in the market and, and unexpected issues that are that are thrown at you. Even if you're you're looking at a, a primary strategy, always have a plan B of some some kind in the background. I think. Yeah, we've got to. No, no plan survives first contact. <laughs> Indeed, um, I think we're we're probably at a, a suitable point to, to end here, aren't we? So that just leaves it for for me to say thank you very much to everyone who, who's been listening. Please do get in touch with us. Let us know what you think of the, the current market. Are we in a boom? Are we at the peak? Are we about to see a, a crash? Or have we got another couple of years of, of growth coming down our, our way yet? Please do reach out to us in any way you can. So we're on Twitter under the handle Biz of Property. That's Biz with a Z. Or you can reach us through the contact form on thebusinessofproperty.com, which is also where you can find show notes. And Stuart, hopefully, still all well. And myself, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.